0: Tell the truth, nothing but the truth. So help me guys say, say what you wanna say. Don't be a fry, King Dre, big pick, man. Against the eyes, players play from May to May. Check out the pod. King Drake Mac and Big Pig. King Drake Mac and Big Pig. King Dre, Mac and Big Pig. King Drake Mac and Big Pig. What's poppin' peoples? Y'all know what this is. It's the king, Trey Mac, and the big pick show. It's February, y'all. What is February to most of us? The Shortest month of the year. It's like you're coming off that uh, that New Year's resolution and now you're back into the reality of how you're really going to make it through the, the 12 months that's ahead of you. This is uh, also that month where they tuck away black history. Y'all know how I like to get down. You go back and look at some of our podcasts that we previously put up here. You'll see that we have a long list of his story lessons. where we try to highlight and point out that intersection between race and sports. And there's an incident Well, many people called it an incident back when it happened, but it was one that, you know, when I was a young, a youngster, I saw it, I really didn't understand it, but I always had it in my head because it meant something to me. It meant something to a lot of the people that I respected, and it also bugged a lot of the people that I didn't respect. So I wanted to look a little bit deeper into it, understand it a bit more, and serve it to y'all. You know how we do. So look, you ever asked the question, why John Carlos and Tommy Smith, two African-American track and field athletes in 1968? Raised their fists in solidarity at the 1968 Olympics. You're probably saying, yeah, I know why they raised their hand. They was tied. They just wanted to show, you know, show people up. Show people what time it was. Put the black power salute up. Just show the world. That the United States wasn't all that is cracked up to be. And if you said that. You have a lot of truth in the statement. It's a lot of truth in that statement. But there's more to it. And the more to it is what I want to get into with you guys. So hang on. I am the king. Dre Mac. And I'll be right back. around in the 1960s but from everything i've seen from everything i've heard from everything that people have witnessed it was vicious i mean right now we're in a time in life where things are happening that we've never expected to happen we got pandemics we got blatant racism we got crazy politics we got all sorts of things circling uh and making us circle the 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 drain so to speak of life but the 60s was like when that all came together, when all of all the people started to get getting woke, women start getting woke. African-Americans start getting woke war times, crazy politics. You seen the black and white photos and the, the videos, people getting sprayed down with with fire hoses, dogs getting sick on people. People opening fire at school campuses, racist politicians up there with diatribes and speeches saying segregation now, segregation forever. Just all that sort of stuff was happening in the 1960s. It was devastating. At Martin Luther King. I have a dream. All of that. Martin Luther King was out there doing his thing. I mean, it's kind of hard to believe that he was only 39 when they got to him, when they assassinated him. He was only 39 years old. Like you listen to him and you hear him and you just think like, wow, that dude was just born to do what he did. Born to lead, born to be a martyr, born to be. You know, a man amongst kids walking this earth. out of all the things that Martin Luther King did and witnessed the thing that got him in the most trouble was aligning himself with poor people with the working class. I think that was the final straw for them. They didn't care if we, you know, they brought brought African-Americans together, brought a few white uh, activists together. But when you start dealing with the money, start dealing with the poor, that's when, they decided it was time for him to go. And then they got rid of him. They got rid of Martin Luther King with a bullet. So as crazy as times are right now, we haven't seen any assassinations to people of that stature. We had Robert F. Kennedy. He got assassinated in the 60s as well. Knocked down nineteen sixty eight. Specifically nineteen sixty eight. Martin Luther King, Robert F. Kennedy, both assassinated. Then you had multiple cities. As a result of the assassination of Martin Luther King that went up in flames. People wasn't having it. That was it. It was like we shall overcome. I shall have I have a dream. You got people who was with that, that were black and and uh, and allies. And then you had people who weren't with that. They were like with with it. I'm just like, look, I'm tired of all of this. I'm. It's time to get out here and get active. And then that assassination sparked an uproar from people who just couldn't take it anymore. You killed a man. Who sat out there and said, listen, we're not going to fight back. We're going to take the strategy of peace. Over war. But at that time, there was too many people who went to war. For peace. You feel me on that? The two different ways to look at that. So anyway, cities went up in flames because of Martin Luther King. Robert F. Kennedy was also assassinated in 1968. And then you had multiple Vietnam War protests. This was a time in the Amer- in American history where people started to question things. They're like, wait a minute. Why are we going to war? What have those people done to us? Why are we there? What are, what are the bigger goals here? What are we trying to get accomplished? What does victory look like over there? So people start asking all of these questions because at the end of the day, you got younger people protesting, but you also got younger people over there on the front lines. And people were wondering, like, why am I there? Why would you send me there? You had athletes. Athletes slash activists like Muhammad Ali. And we all know what he did when he was drafted. To Vietnam. They told him to take that step up, and he didn't take that step. So he was ostracized. He was pushed to the side. He was took a portion, a nice chunk of his career away. So all of these things were percolating and bubbling under the surface before the nineteen sixty eight Mexico City Olympics. So I'm saying all this to say that there was a lot happening before we got to that podium with the black fist raised before the country's eyes. Now think about this, the Olympics. Now that when we look at the Olympics, we see the Olympics on multiple channels. I mean, it's on multiple channels when it's on thousands of hours of coverage instant replays we got channels devoted to the olympics and you can go back and watch it on apps you got youtube that you can always go back into eternity to see everything that happened in the olympics so it the the coverage was monstrous you know what i mean it's monstrous right now back then on the contrary the 1964 olympics the 1960 olympics the 1956 Olympics. Have you seen a lot of footage of those Olympics? Ask yourself. I'll give you a minute. I'm going to go ahead and answer it for you. You haven't, because they didn't broadcast it like that. It wasn't out there like that. They would show you little clips, little segments, little pieces, you know, like little vine TikTok type segments of the Olympics. Back then, because it wasn't widely broadcasted. But in 1968, that was the first time that it was broadcasted on a wide scale. It was in millions of homes around the world. Millions for the first time. This was like a big ass show. It was a big show. And back then, and I'm going to compare that to now you didn't have the YouTubes you didn't have the Twitters you didn't have multiple cable stations you didn't have all that you had like three major stations that you could watch ABC, NBC, CBS that's what was popping back then and if you had a TV that could give you color oh you was killing them if you had a color TV you was killing the block so basically they were on black and white It was a little fuzzy Had antennas on top You could hear it real good But it was gonna come out in Like AM Like how your AM radio sounds That's how the TV sounded But it was popping Millions of people Tuned in To the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City It was a sight to see So Mr. John Carlos and Tommy Smith were both students at San Jose State University. Yeah, San Jose State. You don't hear much about San Jose that much these days, anyway, as far as being prominent from a sports standpoint, but they had two of the fastest athletes in the world the world at San Jose state and all that backdrop that I gave you, Martin Luther King, Robert F. Kennedy, Vietnam. We already know about how the, uh, the FOI was back then. We know about the blatant racism back then. So it was, it was a lot percolating. So these two students, both Smith and Carlos were in tune with the political issues that swirled around them during that day. The oppression, the marginalization. And they had a sociology professor who now, um, who is, uh, his name was Harry Edwards. So Harry had a um, program called the Olympic Project For human rights. And this project. Was primarily focused. On the welfare. Of black people globally. And more importantly. It advocated for black athletes. And their welfare. They fought for many things. But some of the things they fought for. Were were the hiring of black coaches and they wanted to bar South Africa and what is now Zimbabwe which I believe was Rhodesia back then because they practiced apartheid so hear what I'm saying they was going for the throat like the teacher Harry Edwards you still look him up he's around that wasn't for it man 1968 all the problems going on Now you want me to go out there and run In front of the world Represent the world Show that we have the best athletes in the world But the treatment Of the people Wasn't satisfactory So Under Edwards You know he used to teach At San Jose State And if you go to San Jose State to this day You'll see a statue of both Carlos and Smith at San Jose State. It was three people up on the podium though. And I'm gonna get to that third person that was on the podium and why that person is significant as well. But it put San Jose on the map, that that situation. So anyway, so Harry Edwards suggested that, uh, you know, it was definitely athletes that came before both of those guys, Jesse Owens and Jackie Robinson, et cetera. But uh, he just felt like now is the time to make a statement that the whole world would see. And what better way to do that than on the grandest of stages? The Olympics. It's going to be cable on cable. Millions of people are going to be watching. The world be, would be watching this event. But this may be a good time to make a statement. And again, like I said, they also knew that Muhammad Ali had, did his thing with Vietnam. He objected, and how he was treated was uh, prominent in the minds of these athletes then there was one more thing that happened right before the olympics one more thing that shook them up a little bit so october 2nd and like i said the protest was what date did i say october i want to say 16th when was it give me a minute I believe it was October 16th, but if I'm wrong about that, I'm going to circle back on it and let you know. But it is, I see it. October 16th is when the Olympics was. But October 2nd, an event happened that not many people know about. So, as I said, the two athletes and Harry Edwards both were trying to demand for better and fair treatment of black athletes, coaches, and they wanted to make sure that Muhammad Ali was recognized. And not treated the way that he was and that uh, the IOC, which the which is the Olympic Committee, had some black folks on it. I mean, that's a fair ask. But they also. Found it in their hearts and they were gravely concerned about an event that happened about 10 days before the, the Olympics began. There was a Mexican military troop. And police officers that shot into a crowd. Of unarmed student protesters. They killed 300 kids. Let me say it again. October 2nd, 1968, Mexican military troops and police officers shot into a crowd of unarmed student protesters. Killing 300 of them. So it's human rights, man. Like that's the thing. Like you see people standing up. You saw John Carlos. You saw Tommy Smith standing up there with the black gloves on. And you're thinking, Oh man, it just, that's just some black, black thing. You see Kaepernick take a knee. That's just a black thing, man. It's a human thing. This is for Humanity. Okay, I mean, why does it take somebody that looks exactly like or talks exactly like or the same country as you for you to understand that this is a human thing? This isn't just a race thing. This is a human thing. So these guys, they also saw this as a miscarriage of justice that these people, these policemen, these people who are supposed to protect you shot into a crowd of 300 people. Well, a crowd of larger than 300 people and knocked down 300 of them. This was terrible. This is terrible. So let's get to the Olympics. So now you got the backdrop of all this Martin Luther King, Robert F. Kennedy, Vietnam, Muhammad Ali. And you have this Mexico uh, situation that happened where they killed these students. And oh, yeah, let's not forget that there was boycott circulating throughout these Olympics. Many black athletes said, I'm not even going to this. I'm not showing up. One of the more famous ones to not show up is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah, you would think that Kareem would have been in the Olympics at some point, right? Do you remember Kareem being there? Nope, because he wasn't. So that's another thing. So these brothers was like, you know, we're going to go, man. We're going to show up to this after going back and forth of saying we're going to boycott or or we're not going to boycott They were going back and forth. Society was going back and forth. Many black athletes and black intellectuals thought, no, don't, no, no, no. This is a chance for black people to advance. They're giving you an opportunity through sports, giving you an opportunity not only to get out there and perform, but also to show people how good you are, how great you can act, how amiable you are, how you can smile on camera and smile on cue. Then you had others were like, look, man, I'm not anybody's clown. I don't care if I go out here and win or not, I'm still going to get treated the same way. So, a lot of that was circulating. It was a debate between the two sides. The people that thought we could just get along and go further in life, and those that was like, look, no, we got to stop right here. We have to fight for our rights by not showing up, by not participating by letting the world know that the best of the best didn't show up and, and kind of exploiting the hypocrisy. So long story short, short story long, the Olympics started and they went off like they usually do with all the glitz, glamor regalia. And then it came down to the 200 meter race where Mr. Carlos Smith and a third person, a white Australian athlete named Peter Norman started this race. If you go back and look at this race, it was very interesting, a very fast race. This was 1968 Mexico city and me being a former track athlete, There's one thing that I understand very well that not many people do understand is when you are an athlete and you're in a place like Mexico City, you're going to fly. You're going to fly as a jumper. You're going to fly as a runner. You're going to fly because the air is thinner because the altitude is higher. So this was one of the fastest races. I mean, still, when you look at this race, it was one still one of the fastest races. I mean, of course, you know, you got Bolt and all those guys and Michael Johnson that came after them running like low 19s in the 200. But these guys were no joke the way that they ran. And it was Carlos. It was Norman. It was Smith. Super fast. So started this race. It was intensity throughout the entire stadium. Runner caught them to their marks. They lined up. Set. Go. So, man, they took off like a shot. Smith got out. Man, he could run. Carlos right on his ass. They were like one. One, two. There was no way they were not going to be one, two. They came around the curve. With Lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Lucky. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prices. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Footwear prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And then they had about 50 meters left. And that's when Peter Norman stepped his game up and finished super strong in that race. And clipped Carlos for second place. They went one, two, three. Smith, Norman, Carlos. credible race. first time somebody ran under 19 seconds in the 200. 1968, 53, 54 years ago., Whew, that's crazy. Shout out to Tommy Smith, born and raised in Lemoore, California. Represent, represent Central California. So now it's time to get up on the podium. All right. Everybody's seen me run. Everybody's cheering, going crazy. They saw one of the fastest races in the history of the event. And it was still close at the finish line. It was a close race. So it was one of the, it was the fastest 200 meter race that anybody had ever seen. So it was incredible. So now what do you do? Now the world loves me. The world is looking like the United States. Look at them, man. They put out amazing athletes. So that's when Carlos and Smith came together. And they, and they, they talked to each other and they put their plan in effect and they stepped up to the podium wearing their beads, scarves, socks with no shoes and gloved fists. Carlos also used a black T-shirt to cover up the USA on his uniform. Both of the men wore the Olympic project for human rights badges that Harry Edwards was the leader of. But also. Peter Norman, the white Australian, decided that he wanted to wear that badge, too. So he put it on because Norman, although he was from Australia, his family really loved the Salvation Army. They really uh, lived up to that and espoused that, that the Salvation Army's um, sentiment towards life and giving back and being fair was something that he really believed in. So not only was he, the third person just standing on the podium, he also wore one of the badges. He also advised them, because if you look at that picture, when you do the, the typically when you see a picture of somebody doing the black, black fist and with the black gloves, it's usually with the right hand. But when you look at that picture, it's both of them are doing, one were doing it with the right hand, the other guy was doing it with his left hand. And that was because, one of them forgot their gloves, so they just shared the gloves. And Norman advised that they should do that. So basically, he was in in on it. He was with it. He was an advocate. He was an advocate. He advocated for that because he understood it so well, because if you know anything about Australia. if You know, like I know, let's just put it that way. You know that 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 place, that continent was there and inhabited already before the English and others got there. So it was inhabited by African, well, African descendants. Let's put it that way before they got there. So Norman knew about the unequal treatment of African uh, people of African descent. And he was a fair man. So fair that once this event, this Olympics was over. I'll get to that in a second. So like I said, sharing just one pair of gloves, Smith wore his on his right hand. Carlos wore it on the left. And they raised their fists up during the Star Spangled Banner. Oh, shit! you know how that went. We saw how it went with Kaepernick just just touching a knee, being being a silent protester of police brutality. The backlash was incredible. But back then, like I said, this is the first time the Olympics were broadcast into the homes of millions of Americans. And boom, you going to put your fist up during the Star Spangled Banner. Oh, hell no. Nah. Hell no. Nah. That's how they felt. We're going to make them pay. Carlos said in his uh, he had a memoir that he wrote. He said it was awful to hear 50,000 people in that stadium go silent. Then he got booed. They got booed off the podium. People were shouting the national anthem at him. It just felt like they got instant like instant karma on what they did. Good or bad, it was an instant reaction. So now let's get to the repercussions. So first and foremost, I'll say that the third person involved in this, uh, Mr. Norman, the white Australian guy, he got repercussions. He got blackballed in his country. They didn't want nothing to do with him. They were through with him. He thought it was a good idea. We know that advocacy is important, but Australia wasn't having it. They wasn't having it. So that man ended up dying in 2006, still kind of on the blackball list. Then, of course, after he died, here they come. 2012, they they give him his love and, and make a memorial to him, apologizing to him. So they came to his rescue after he was dead. To say, no, nah, he was a good man. He wasn't on the wrong side of history by doing this. And that's typical. That's typical. That's usually what happens. But it was a political statement. So that's typically what happens when, when you make a political statement against especially against the United States, you're gonna have to pay for it. And he paid. Having years of depression and couldn't get a job and you know found some success later, but you know, he was tormented by that. When he died in 2006 Smith and Carlos were pallbearers for him. They stayed in touch. They didn't forget the advocacy, which I thought was really, that was really cool. because They could have easily just turned their backs and went on about their business. But not only did they share that experience on the podium, they also shared in the repercussions. So between Smith and Carlos, the repercussions were heavy. And let me say this. I know I said 40 million people watched the Olympics. Let me say that correctly. 400 million eyes saw the Olympics worldwide. So they did this in front of 400 million people. And man, you know, America the beautiful. (laughs) America the beautiful has to put that out there to say like, look, we're fair, we're equitable. Look at the Declaration of Independence. Look at the Constitution. We got rules, laws, statutes that must be upheld. But yeah, we got a few bad apples out there that will get up on the podium and and, and not be happy for the things that they're given. So we got to sweep them to the side. So and that's what they did. They got death threats. They made it back to the United States. It was a mixed bag. You had, of course, you had conservatives that that wanted to kill them. You had people who threatened their lives and their families lives. You also had a strong wall, again, of black people. Intellectuals, athletes. that said this was the wrong move. That was sloppily done. That was attention grabbing for yourself. That was self-gratifying. self, self uh, gratifying. It was embarrassing. Then you had some that were like, that was the greatest thing I've ever seen. The greatest thing I've ever seen. You got up there and you socked it to them. You didn't care what the repercussions were. You didn't care about money. You didn't care about prestige. You didn't care about going on a tour and talking on talk shows. You didn't care about none of that. You just cared about the people. You cared about making a statement. And now you're etched in the galaxy for good for doing that. So it was a mixed bag. It's mixed when they got back. But they said the majority of Americans saw them as traitors. How you going to go out there and do that in front of company? Remember when you were little? And your mama told you that? Don't be acting like that in front of company because it was embarrassing. And that's how they looked at them. Like you went out there in front of company and you showed your butt. So that looks bad on me. So many people thought they were traitors, thought they were villains, thought they were un-American, thought they were unpatriotic, thought that was shut the hell up everybody want to hear all that i'm sure it was shocking to america i mean shit we get shocked remember that super bowl when justin timberwolf uh justin timberlake whatever the hell his name is did the janet jackson thing and everybody was like whoa man that's a big ass deal because everybody's watching the super bowl it was probably like that where you're like wait what did i just see what what are they doing and then your instant response is, was that a good thing or a bad thing? And you know, there were certain people that was like, I can't even go to work tomorrow because now they're going to be looking at me like that was me up there doing that. And it was some that were just smiling like. Yeah. Right on. So end of the day. There was a mixed bag of people that liked it. and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. But for Smith, Tommy Smith, for him, he said it wasn't no, it wasn't something where it was anti-American because Smith had aspirations to be in the military. He wanted to be in the military. But when somebody questions authority, especially so-called supreme authority, you get supreme backlash. Okay, you get supreme backlash. The higher you go up the chain and the more critical you are of those up the chain, the bigger the backlash is going to be. So Smith and Carlos received tremendous amounts of backlash from this. One of my favorite broadcasters, man, I ain't gonna lie. I was kind of upset. One of my favorite broadcasters used to be on CBS named Brent Musburger. I remember him. He used to, you know, do football games and all that. You could probably think of him like a, like the Joe Buck or the, uh, Bob Costas dude from, but back in the seventies, man. And, uh, he had some statements in regards to this protest in nineteen sixty eight between, you know, the people that I named already, Carlos Smith, Norman. And uh he has some words, man, that really I, I lost respect for. Him. You know, not just because he called them unimaginative, that he didn't think out what they did very well, but he had to just mention that they, you know, they was black and 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 kind of dumb, you know? And uh that wasn't cool. Wasn't cool, man. So these things, when I when I research these things, it really brings out things that I didn't know. Um, Sound bites. Written material. Witness accounts. That really shape. These events. And show the background of these events that make you say, like, damn, things haven't changed much. Haven't changed much. But anyway, back to the repercussions, man. So, with with Smith in particular, like I said, he wanted mil- to go to the military. Couldn't do that. That wasn't going to happen now after he did this. So that was a wrap for him. Um, then both of them, Smith and uh, so let's start with Smith. Smith went and played three seasons for the Cincinnati Bengals. So he used that used that speed was able to get out on the field, play with Cincinnati Bengals. Had a three year career. Carlos went out and played one year for the Philadelphia Eagles and another for the C- in the CFL. And then he ended up becoming a community liaison for the 84 LA Olympics. 16 years later. So then. um, You know, in order for them to get work, both of them worked in education. 72 Smith coached at Oberlin College, which was an academic institution. But they were known for being racially progressive after he worked at Oberlin he taught sociology and coached cross country at Santa Monica College and then um, Carlos took a job as a guidance counselor in Palm Springs at Palm Springs High he's still out there I believe They're still out there in Palm Springs. These guys are still around. Still telling their stories. Still speaking on it, man. Still holding that fist up. To say, man, we did this. We came before you so that people around the world would understand that there are some inequalities. There's some... um, some corrective measures that need to be taken in order to get everybody on the same page because people shouldn't be judged by their race. But it's weird because they were judged by their race, right? Ran in 200, but they shouldn't be judged by their race. Just get out there on the track, wherever the track is in your life. It could be your job, it could be your relationship it could be sports that you play but you shouldn't be prejudged prejudiced by how you look and we know that there're systems in place especially back then there were systems in place to keep you in place So they were fighting to bust through to break through, not just for themselves because they could have easily won that race, went on a victory tour, went to all of the talk shows, collected some motivational speaker money and went on about their business. But that's not the route they took, man. So you got to be proud of people like this. People who take a stand. It's not many people that'll do that. That's that, uh, Like that joke that uh, Chappelle told about Rosa Parks. He was like, man, shit, if it was nowadays, Rosa Parks would have a shoe deal. Probably be wearing some Fashion Nova or something. Nowadays, the way that things are. So it's really good that people step out there, man, and put everything on the line. And I I haven't done that. I haven't put everything on the line. You probably haven't either. But when somebody does put everything on the line, for the whole for the majority of the people and not just for themselves man you got to give them love so speaking of giving them love in 2008 40 years after the black fist uh olympics that's what i'm gonna call it the black fist olympics both smith and carlos were honored with the arthur Ashe award for courage so they got some dap. 2008, they got some love. And hell yeah, they should have got an award for courage. Because everything I just said, man. Rewind. Think about that. Martin Luther King got shot. Robert F. Kennedy. Vietnam. People getting dog sick on them. The FOI. All of that was going on. These brothers took... It upon themselves in front of 400 million people to say, you know what? This gold and bronze ain't enough if my people can't share in this with me in the real world. If my people can't run and get across the line first in a fair and equitable race, it ain't worth it. So take this precious metal and stick it up your you know what I'm saying so in 2008 these two brothers got recognized with the Arthur Ashe Award for Courage just eight years later then President Barack Hussein Obama let me say that again eight years later a black president recognized them during a White House ceremony. Oh, man. So it's ironic, isn't it? that The stuff they were protesting in 1968 manifested itself into a, an election where a black president, something that we thought would never happen, not in my lifetime, said their name. And showed them love. At a White House ceremony. Oh, yeah, what they did in 68 was very controversial. But it got people woke. It got them woke. Because it's just not good enough just to be able to participate. If you can't raise your voice. You can run around the track and win every race. But if you can't say nothing when somebody puts a mic in your face and you have to kowtow, put your head down, smile, shuffle, is it worth it? Nah, man, it ain't worth it. So I'm glad that they did what they did. Obama was able to step in. And asked them to be U.S. Olympic Committee ambassadors in 2016. So things came full circle from 68 to 16. They went through a whirlwind of events. Several repercussions. Even the guy who got third place, who was an advocate for them, suffered through repercussions. Many of the repercussions that he suffered through are why many people don't want to advocate. People don't want to get involved. People don't want to be tangled up in that. But what what rang important for me is I told you guys about the San Jose State statues of Carlos and Smith, it, in, and it shows them on the podium, really lifelike statue. But it also has a third slot on this podium, and there's nobody there. There's nobody on this podium. So just picture this again. You got a podium where Tommy Smith got first. John Carlos got third. And then we know Norman got uh, second. But on the statue, Norman is not there. He's not on the statue. The reason being is because he would like for you to step up there on that statue or on that podium, that imaginary podium to advocate. So advocacy is why that statue only has. Two steps that are occupied instead of three. Advocacy is important, especially in the fight for equality. So, again, this was one of the most controversial moments in sports history. The black fist raised up in front of the world. What did it really mean? What did it really do at that time? What were people feeling? What were the long lasting accomplishments that came from it? What were the long lasting detriments that came from it? It's still a work in progress to this day. But I'm glad they did it. I'm glad they took a stand, literally and figuratively. And I'm glad I understand it a bit more. I am the king, Dre Mack. Peace. Tell the truth, nothing but the truth. So help you guys say, say what you want to say. Don't be afraid, King Dre, big pick, man. Against the odds, players play from May to May. Check out the pod. King Dre, Mac, and Big Pick. King Dray, Mac, and Big Pick. King Dre, Mac, and Big Pick. King Drake Mac, and Big Pick. King